Hey, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Now, for many of you that are brand new uh, to Leading Saints, it's important that you know that Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization, 501c3, dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation. We get so much positive feedback on the podcast, our virtual conferences, the articles on our website. You definitely got to check it out at leadingsaints.org. And on their homepage at leadingsaints.org, you can actually find the top six most downloaded episodes to the podcast. So if you're new, like the content, want to jump in to some of our most popular episodes, head there after you listen to this episode. <laughs> These are fun interviews to do. And I get to sit down with a former member of a general presidency. And in this interview, we do just that. We sit down with Reina Alberto, along with her daughter, Elena, who's become a friend of mine. And the two together are a great duo that made for a great interview. For those of you that don't know, Reina Alberto was sustained in April 2017 as the second counselor in the General Relief Society presidency and uh, was recently released. And so that gives us an opportunity to sit down with her and just explore her leadership uh, experience. And it was a lot of fun. Now, you'll remember that Sister Alberto gave some remarkable conference talks, one of which that is probably the most remembered is when she talked about mental health and the struggles she's experienced in the lives of loved ones, especially her father who died by suicide. And Elena talks about uh, helping her mom review and put this talk together so it'll resonate with uh, YSAs, but also many other people who've struggled with mental health. You also remember that Sister Alberto, early in her adult life, experienced a divorce, and that's something that sometimes is uh, taboo to talk about, but uh, Sister Berto opened up and, and really leaned into just her real life experience. And it's interesting to hear. And in this interview, we talk about just the process of getting to a talk, a general conference talk, ready to stand at the lectern and deliver. It's really fun to see and hear how her family was involved in this process, learning about how she approached assignments around the world, walking into a place that she didn't know anybody, but needed to represent the calling that she represented and just remarkable leadership lessons. So definitely listen to every minute of this. And also I'll mention at the end, uh, Sister Roberto is going to be speaking at this year's North Star Conference, which is happening in Salt Lake City on June 16th and 17th. I'll be there. You won't want to miss it. I'll give you the details at the end so that you can make sure to attend. So here's my interview with Elena and Reina Alberto. Welcome, Elena and Reina Alberto, to the Leading Saints podcast. Well, yeah, thank, you for, thank you for inviting us. <laughs> nice. And we're uh, here. I want to do this in studio since you, you don't live too far away from here. So no. I thought, well, hey, I know of a studio. Let's get a room and, and chat. Now, Reina, maybe just uh, people generally probably, well, where have I seen her from? But maybe just introduce yourself. And Yes. Well, I was born in Nicaragua, came to the United States at the age of 21, Joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in San Francisco, California, when I was 26. After going through a divorce, had a small child. And then I moved to Utah a few years later, and um, I've been very busy in the church. And uh, recently, I was released from the General Relief Society Presidency. Awesome. I was a counselor, the second nice. counselor there. With uh, President Bingham and... Sister Eubank. Sister Eubank. Yes. Yeah, awesome. Uh, they're, on, they're on my list. Hopefully yes, we, can, okay. uh, we can get them on the podcast as well. But, and Elena, what, uh, put yourself into context. Okay, sure. I, um, I'm going to grad school at UV right now. I'm learning how to teach choir in secondary schools. 
And I got my bachelor's degree in BYU Idaho with a degree in piano. And, and she's my daughter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> we know each other. <laughs> you hang out sometimes. That's good. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I work at a junior high as a choir accompanist. Nice. So passion and music. It yeah, sounds like. that is my thing. When did that start? Since I was born, yeah. <laughs> right? I listened to a lot of music when I was pregnant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that <laughs> must have been it. <laughs> I now, don't know because we really, I mean, our, my husband, he plays the drums by ear. Mm-hmm. Really? And we listen to a lot of music, but I'm not, I to, I'm totally musically illiter- illiterate. illiterate. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, so I, they put me in piano lessons when I was six and... Yeah, I've loved it ever since then. So yeah. now, and sometimes you'll even you'll get online on social media and oh, you'll yeah. sing. And it's one thing, like you know, lots of people sing, and it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, this will this will be great. Or you hear like a sacramenting solo, like mm-hmm. oh great, it's great that they're singing. But you're like, oh no, like she can really sing. Like you have a great voice, and <laughs> thank you. And uh, you're just, I mean, it's, whether it's in your DNA or in the womb, or but that's your passion then. <laughs> yeah. Cool. No, I actually I didn't even start singing in front of people until like two years ago. I feel like so. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. So I want to ask this question, but we'll start with from your perspective. Elena, is when did you find out about your your mom's calling in the general release study pregnancy? How did oh that? Gosh. What's the story oh there? That is a okay. Big story. That's the story. Okay, <laughs> so it was right after I served my mission. I came home on a Wednesday, and general conference in April was a few days after I came home. That same Saturday, so my mom was like, "We have tickets to general conference because Joy Jones gave mm-hmm. us tickets." Like. And Joy Jones was like like a the primary friend. president at the time, and she was a friend, and so that was a totally believable lie. <laughs> it was not a lie. It was actually Jim Bingham. Oh, you did it? have yeah. tickets, okay. Okay, sure, and you sure. were going, right? Okay. Because, yes, yes. Uh, President Bingham was in the primary presidency, yes. right? Yes. Oh, okay. She's the one who gave me oh, okay. Tickets, yeah. Well, either way. Yeah. It was, <laughs> but yeah, so we sat like there at the very front. Yeah, like great seats. Yes. Like, this is wow. <laughs> and... Yeah, and then Elder Uchtdorf like read my mom's name, and I just started bawling. I had no idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't allowed to tell me, so yeah, I found out when everybody else did. <laughs> and then suddenly she was walking towards yes. the the red chairs, right? <laughs> scary, scary nice. walk. Nice, that's fun. Yeah, and and for you, uh, Raina, what what where's the story begin for that calling? I think it began a long time ago, around two thousand ten. Because I served as a volunteer at the Relief Society building. They had like a resource room in the basement. And, and how did you get into that? Well, because I was called as a stake Relief Society president here in Orem. And back then they used to have like trainings for stake leaders in mm. Utah. And I, I went to one of those trainings and I received a flyer that they were looking for volunteers for, for the Relief Society building. But you had to be either a Relief a stake Relief Society president or a stake Young Women president or a stake primary president. Oh, wow. So because I was going to get that calling, I mean, I, I, it was a new calling for me. I I decided to offer myself. To be honest with you, it was really the spirit. I really didn't want to do it because I live in Orem. I didn't want to go to Salt Lake. Uh-huh. But I kept having this feeling that I needed to offer myself as a volunteer. So I went. I was there for about two years working like every two weeks. And, and so what would you do? I mean, you weren't vacuuming or no. like I'm thinking volunteers, like usually it's like <laughs> it's to like clean the building. It's like a hostess. Okay. A hostess, So people yeah. walk in and you'd yes. be there to greet them. Yes. And then you could speak from the point of yes. being a Relief Society president. Yes. Okay. You know, and they had like different kinds of exhibits there. So you will explain to people if they needed help. Oh, cool. So it was just being there. It was a very nice time for me. I would read the scriptures, talk to the other sisters that were there. It was very nice. So I did that for about two years. And after that... Sister Beck, Julie Beck, who was the Relief Society General President, invited me to a focus group. I went there. You know, I said well, some things that I 
that they asked us to talk about. <laughs> and then a few months after that, Sister Wixom gave my name uh, yeah. to be part of the primary general board. Okay. And they now call that the general council or what? But right now it's called advisory. the general council, advisory council. Yeah. Advisory council, that's yes. right. That's but right. it was called a board before. So I served there for four and a half years. And how would you describe that experience? What, what oh, does that entail? Oh, it was amazing because you work with the, directly with the general presidencies and you do, you know, we would do instructions in Utah, Idaho. They even sent me to Mexico in a special assignment. But you meet with the, with the presidency like every two months. You work in the committees. They assign you to work in committees. And it was just beautiful hmm. to be there and to get to know how they function. And Sister John Jones and Sister Jean Bingham were part of that board. Oh, I see. And we worked together in different committees, and that's how we got to know each other. Sister Wixon was released in 2016. Sister Joy Jones became the primary president, and Sister Bingham was her a counselor. But then Sister Bingham was called for as a, the Relief Society president one year later in 2017. Gotcha. So I guess she gave my name and that's how I got there. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's a long story, but it yeah. all started with that prompting of me offering myself as a volunteer, which I, I didn't want to do really. My mind kept telling me, it doesn't make sense, but my heart kept telling me, you need to do it. Yeah. Wow. And, and uh, it's one of those things that, I mean, I felt that I needed to follow that prompting. Yeah. Now, and, uh, you know, going into one of those general presidencies, there's some presidencies where the counselors, they don't know each other or the presidents yes, sort of their first yes. interaction together, but they felt prompted or, or yes. led that way. But you walked into that presidency with a friendship with yes, Sister yes. Eubank and, and yes. President Bingham. Yeah, Sister Eubank, she actually was a member of the general board for under Relief Society with Sister Beck. Mm -hmm. And because she was an employee, you know, of the church or because of the position that she had as the LDS Charities Mm. director, Latter-day Saint Charities director. We will have some kind of relationship, so I knew her already, but um, we bonded even more oh, with the great. presidency. Yes. What do you remember just walking into that role as far as getting started? Because there is sort of this, and you know, any presidency feels that the, you know, there was a presidency before that everybody respects and yes. they don't want to make any drastic changes per se to, you know, because they want to respect sort of the direction yes. that the last presidency was on. So how do you begin? What do you remember from those early days in that in that role well, as a presidency? Well, of course, it's, it's scary. Yeah. Especially if you look at everything that you have to do, you know, they immediately gives you, they give you a list of the things that the presidency needs to do, all the different committees that they belong to. And one of the first things that we did was to, Sister Bingham, you know, the three of us determining who was going to be in charge of what. It was scary. But then you realize that you have a, a whole team of people around you, supporting you. And then the thing is that what you feel that you're doing in there is, is supporting, you know, the brethren, supporting mm -hmm. the first presidency, supporting the, the quorum of the 12, but at the same time, counseling together with them, you know, everything that is done in the church at that level, it, it's a council. You belong to councils, you talk to them, they give you advice, they ask you for advice and you do it together. Mm. And that was a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. Is there anything like, I'm, I'm intrigued by that dynamic between, you know, the brethren and, and the general Relief Society presidency, because there's the similar dynamic maybe happening on a ward level yes. with our Relief Society presidency working with a bishopric. Yes. What advice would you give to maybe those two presidencies or the bishopric working together more effectively? I would say that we need to remember that we are trying to find or to look for the Lord's will. Mm. that we should not have a personal agenda. 
Because if we have a personal agenda, that gets in the way of revelation and inspiration. Well, something that I learned, you know, early on as I participated in those councils is that if I had a feeling, if I felt that I needed to say something, I would say it and then I, I would let go of it. Mm. I would put it on the table and then it didn't belong to me anymore. It was part of the council. And if it was something that maybe didn't go through per se, I didn't mind because it was just a conversation that we were having. And of course, you need to prepare yourself. That's another thing. You need to prepare yourself for that council. And it's beautiful because over there, they will send you the agenda. They will send you any reference material that you need to read or the things that you're going to discuss. They send it to you ahead of time. So you can read and prepare and even counsel with your presidency. I will do that sometimes. You know, I will tell Sister Bingham and Sister Eubank, uh, we're going to talk about this in this meeting. And the, these are the topics. What can you tell me? You know, you do it as a counsel with them, mm-hmm. as a counsel with the Lord. You ask for, for that help from heaven. And then you go there and then you listen to everyone. And it's a beautiful feeling to know that your point of view are respected that you can also see why some people will think uh, in a way or others will say something else. And then all together, then we, we could do something even better. Yeah, that's fascinating. Elena, I'm curious with your experiences, you know, suddenly your mom is, you know, in these, you know, there are pictures on the news or she's on the, the poster of the, the uh, general officers, right? Like, what sort of conversations did you have at home? I mean, how did, how did you approach that as a daughter? Obviously, you know, it's there, this, the business of these councils and things, but how did that change your relationship? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such an interesting question. I don't even know if it did. Yeah. <laughs> did it? Because <laughs> I feel like we're still a normal family. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, I, I mean, it was fun to like see people recognize her at the grocery store. <laughs> your mom's suddenly famous. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. think it improved our relationship because. You know, we will talk about serious things many times, and I will ask for advice at the dinner table. Mm. You know, you don't need to say a lot of details sometimes. You just need to ask, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. What have you seen with your friends? What did you see in your mission? How do you think this will work? You don't need to really give a lot of details, but you can get feelings and insights from other people. You know, I will even ride the train from Orange to Salt Lake many times, most of the time. Mm. And I will talk to a lot of college students there. You know, students going to the U or to BYU or to Ensign College or to UVU, back and forth. And I will have conversations with them and I will ask them questions without telling them exactly what was happening. You know, <laughs> There were some things that were confidential that I could not tell. Sure. But I could ask questions. And uh, uh, even if I was writing a talk, how would this resonate with you? What would resonate with you? You know, things like that. Yeah. And I did that with my children also. Yeah. For yeah, sure. Especially, Elena, you're in that, the YSA demographic. and. Yes. Man, there's a lot of parents out there losing sleep over that demographic. And so I'm sure there's a lot learning to learn there. And I I think in all leadership roles, there's this interesting like informal like council process that happens where whether it's between a bishop and his wife, you know, yes. talking about a, a something happening in the ward or, you know, they have this plan. And man, I, suddenly when I talk to my kids about it, things started to open up and fall into place, right? And so yeah. it's interesting just to recognize that, that there, there's a lot going on as far as that inspiration that then becomes sort of finalized in these formal councils, yes. right? Yeah. The thing is that I think that, that in families, you have this level of intimacy. And, uh, you know, like it will happen to me that if I was writing a talk for general conference, the first draft that I wrote, because I, I had to write several drafts, <laughs> I would show it to my children. 
And they knew that that was confidential information that mm-hmm. they could not tell anybody. In families, you have that. There are some things that you know that you cannot talk outside, outside that protective environment that you mm-hmm. have at home. And uh, my children helped me so much in so many ways. I didn't tell them everything, but I told them enough that they could help me. But they knew that they needed to respect that confidentiality. Yeah. They knew that I was what I was going to talk about in general conference, but they didn't say anything until it was it came out. Nice. How many general conference talks did you give? I gave four. Four. And just talk to me about that uh, initial the, the, that experience, or you know, maybe by the fourth one, you're feeling oh, I'm a little more confident in yes. standing up here and delivering and whatnot. But especially, you know, just that process with using your family and like getting to that, the topic even, right? Because yes. you're not assigned a topic no, from my understanding. You're you're, you receive a letter, tells yes. you when you're speaking and be yes. ready, right? Yes. So what, what comes to mind about that first process of speaking in general Well, conference? let me go back a little bit because it happened to me that, uh, you know, I was interviewed by President Eyring for the calling and then I was sustained. And of course I say, yes, I was sustained. And, and about two weeks later, we were at home, um, just sitting there and all of a sudden it hit me and I realized that I had to speak in general conference. <laughs> I didn't think about that yeah, yeah. before, before I say yes. <laughs> and, uh, and then it just, I just had like a panic attack and I never have those. Uh-huh. That was probably the only one that I have had in my life. And I, I thought I have to speak in general conference. I don't think I can do that. My English is so bad. I don't think I can do it. No, 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 no. <laughs> but then like 20 seconds later, I felt this peace and I felt something like a feeling that said, you're not going to do it alone. Mm. You're not going to do it alone. You're going to have help. Yeah. I will help you. Wow. So that was such a, a beautiful experience for me because from that time I knew that whenever the time came, I would receive a lot of help. So yes, another interesting thing is that you can have a lot of thoughts, you know, as as you visit other countries as you visit different church units, as you have conversations on the train and your home and with people, thoughts come to your mind and you have some topics that are closer to your heart, but you cannot really decide until you receive that assignment. It's amazing how that happens. Mm. You receive a letter from the first presidency assigning you to speak in general conference. And when you receive that assignment, that's when the revelation comes more clearly. And even then you need to decide the topic and uh, I remember having probably three or four every time, but I would counsel with my presidency and I would ask them, which one do you think it would be better right now? And they will help give me help with that. But yeah, the process is, is amazing. Each of, the, each of them was different. Mm-hmm. Each of them came about in a different way. For some, I had to prepare more, like the one that I gave about emotional issues. That was probably the one in which I spent more time. Yeah. I received the assignment end of June of that year, and we usually will have the whole month of July off. We didn't have to go to Salt Lake. And I think that break was about five weeks that year, the whole five weeks, full time. Yeah. I spent preparing for that talk. So no break. You still had <laughs> Yeah. We didn't go anywhere that year, and, but I will read, 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 and, and write, and read, and write, and try to decide what were the things that I needed to say, and, and I could feel the hand of the Lord. Yeah. I could feel it. And, and, and even on the train, as I was deciding, you know, trying to decide what topic, people would talk to me about that subject. And I, I saw it as, a, as an assurance and as a sign that, yes, I needed to talk about that. Wow, that's powerful. 
Elaine, what about from your perspective? I mean, are you, did you talk about it before she gave you the first draft or, or what was that like? Um, yeah, I don't remember like helping you choose the topics, but I, you didn't try and feed yeah, her on like, Hey, you should no. talk. <laughs> I probably should have. Right. <laughs> Here's what I want to hear. Um, no, I would help her with her drafts though. And I mean, I was, I'm laughing because I just remember my dad once was like, I'm so sick of this talk. Like you got to hurry up and give it. I'm so sick of reading it. <laughs> but yeah, no, that one about emotional issues is the one that I really love the most. And that was the first one, right? The second. second. The second. Yeah. And that's where you talk about your dad. Yes. yes. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, well, first of all, like, not to brag or anything, but I think I was the one who inspired you to yes, that one yes. because I had a really hard time with depression and anxiety. Okay, so let's back time. up. Like, yeah. tell me more about that. <laughs> okay. How that came to be. So, well, I guess like when I was on my mission, that's when she started researching more about mental health because she didn't know how to help me with mm -hmm. my problems, and she wanted to. So. I guess that kind of sparked it for you initially, mm -hmm. initially. Yes. And then when you got the assignment, you were like, oh, like a lot of people are suffering with this. Like mm -hmm. we need to talk about it more. Yes. And she even allowed me to use her, her story. Yes. Because I talked about her, you know, and, yeah. uh, I told her, is it okay if I talked? Because it's better when it's, you have a personal connection with it. And she said, yes. And I asked her several times, are you sure? Because <laughs> a lot of people are going to hear this. And, and she said, yes, you can tell people about my struggles. And so I'm so grateful because she was vulnerable too. She allowed me to use her story. Nice. And, and so story. you reviewed that one a few times, I oh, imagine. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you listened to it several times. Yes. <laughs> no, actually, the first time that I read the draft, I literally like could not stop crying because I was like, it's going to help so many people. And yeah, ever since then, people have told you yeah. how much it's helped them yeah. and stuff. And I... um no, but the thing is that I will also have to practice my English. Oh, that's, that's what it was. Yes. Okay. <laughs> she she had to practice her English. And so she made me like record myself reading the talk. And I'm oh. literally like sobbing <laughs> while I'm reading it. And so every time that she would listen to my recording. I would cry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I wanted to hear the English and kind of imitate, you know, the pronunciation. Yeah. Because English is my second language. Right. Of course, you noticed that already. Oh, oh really? <laughs> all, of your listeners, all of your listeners already noticed. <laughs> It's not a problem with the sound, people. It's my accent. The thing is that uh, I will listen to it, you know, over and over and over. But then she will cry and I will cry. <laughs> nice. And that helped me because I cried so many times over it. That you got when it out I of your gave, system? Yeah. Yes, when I, when I gave it over the pulpit, I didn't cry. Wow. And she even told me, how could you do that without crying? I said, I was kind of, a little bit kind of sick and tired of it. <laughs> no, I was not, but you know, you you, no, yeah. it's, you, you, you do it so much. I think, I think a lot of leaders can relate to that of like, you know, like the stake presidency who's They've been planning this conference for yes. six months and it's like, let's just get this behind yes, us know. so we can move on, right? <laughs> yes. But and I think it's sort of a funny story, but at the same time, I think that's, if there's someone who's maybe more emotional, you know, at yes. the lectern type of thing, like work it through, you know, in, yes. in, in private enough mm -hmm. that you can maybe stand up there with more yes. confidence knowing that your your body sort of mourned over the topic. Yes. A little bit. And the thing is that you have to send it like three weeks before general conference. Mm. Someone asked me that question this week. And by the way, she said, how do you know when you're ready? And I said, well, you have a deadline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and you have to send it because they need to translate it and prepare. Yeah. And so three weeks before is the deadline. Of course, you can send it before, but I think, I don't know if anybody does. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> the thing is that then during those three weeks, you already sent it. You already gave that offering to the Lord in a way. And then what I will do those three weeks 
prepare in a different way. Mm. I would prepare physically, mentally, emotionally, because I knew that the delivery was important. Mm -hmm. So again, I would listen to it over and over and I would practice it. And then I would do exercises, stretching exercises, especially that morning, just to make sure that I was relaxed. I will stretch my mouth because, yeah, sure. you know, when I speak English for a long time. Yeah, 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 experience yeah. comes yeah. into play, right? And I will do all those things. And then I, I understood, you know, those scriptures that say that we need to serve the Lord with all our mind, mind right. and strength. Yeah. I understood that because it was not just writing the tongue, but it was also the delivery. It was the preparation to make sure I was ready. Mm. And, and that was it's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. To know that you're preparing for that because you know it's important. You yeah. know, a lot of people are going to listen to it. They're going to study those words. That's a big responsibility. Yeah. And, and that's so helpful just because there are people out there who are really nervous just about speaking in a sacrament meeting, let alone state mm -hmm. conference or something. And to know, and I think a lot of times we think, okay, let me read it one more time, right? Yes. When in reality, maybe you just need to go in, in a room by yourself and breathe for a minute yes. or stretch or, yes. you know, go for a hard run yeah. <laughs> the night before or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And you uh, have listened to it so long, so much, and you have read it so much that you already know it. And you know the parts that you probably can go a little bit faster mm. and the parts where you probably need to emphasize and make a little pause. It's just like a song. You yeah. kind of get to know it. And that is beautiful. But I think that, that applies to everything that we do in life. You know, if we really prepare for something that is hard, then it's not as hard. Yeah. But I remember also somebody gave me this advice. They say, when you give your talk, Reina, don't think about the thousands of people that will listen to it. Think about the one. Just talk to one person. You can even picture one person in your mind as you're reading that part. And because you have screens, people maybe don't know this, but you have screens, you know, yeah, the with the teleprompter, uh -huh. and you are reading it. You don't really see the faces of people. You, you, you are just reading it. And I will do that. Many sometimes I will picture Elena in my mind. I was talking to her. I was talking to my grandson when I talked about the butterflies and different people, friends uh, who during COVID that I spoke about the resurrection. I, I, I was talking to a friend who lost his father mm -hmm. during a part of the talk. So I was talking to one person. Wow. Oh, that's powerful. That's really helpful. And that really helps you. Yeah. Because it's not really thousands. You're not talking to thousands. You're talking to one person at a time. Yeah. And they don't see you are like, oh, I'm part of 5,000 sitting here, you know? No, you're talking to me. And I think it happens in, in every circumstance that we have opportunities like that. Yeah. And going back to some of the topics you covered, especially that one about mental health. And you talked, Eleni, you mentioned this before we record, just this important leadership principle of, of vulnerability. And we talk a lot about it on Leading Saints. And it's, I think, conceptually we can understand it like yes i need to be more vulnerable but then like when you're standing in front of relief society on sunday you're like i don't know how to, i mean you start crying like i don't know how to be vulnerable right so maybe talking just from a principal standpoint and is why you think vulnerability is so crucial mm -hmm. well for me it's important because i literally don't relate to my leaders unless they tell me something vulnerable because I, I'm the kind of person who feels like everybody else is doing amazing and i'm doing a really bad job mm -hmm. of living my life and so I love when leaders or anyone in the church, really, when they open up about something that they're struggling with. So, for example, for me, it was really crucial that one of my young women leaders when I was a teenager, she opened up about how she was struggling with depression and she went to therapy for it. Because a few years later, when I was like 18 or 19, I wasn't in Young Women's anymore, but I, I was struggling hardcore with depression and I didn't want to go to therapy because I was like, that's for crazy people. 
but knowing that she had said that to us, like I went to her and I was like, Hey, I'm really struggling with this. What should I do? And she like suggested all these things and including going to therapy. And so she really helped me because she was vulnerable. And so I've tried to do the same thing. Like I've been in Relief Society presidencies a few times now, and I've tried to just like be honest about how like sometimes my life is really hard and I don't know what I'm doing. And so like I just am really honest with the sisters in doing that. Yeah. 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 And there was there encouragement like on the first draft, was there maybe not enough vulnerability or <laughs> oh yes. And you, you encouraged that maybe a little bit? Maybe yes, in the last one, remember the first draft or you first read the first draft? Oh yeah. Of your last uh, general yeah, conference. Yeah. I was well, I was telling my mom like no, like less doctrine, more application, like yeah. more stories. And so you included the story about the Several friend. Stories, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had yeah. a lot of doctrine and just theory, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then she, when she read the first draft, she said, "You need to include more stories." And I have like three stories in mm -hmm. there now. Yeah. Or, or I did that because she said, "You need to be more <laughs> to apply it more," you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that there's like this. Uh, w especially with speaking, there's this. Uh, you know, it's important to establish the doctrine and teach it, but if you can't just say doctrine, doctrinal phrases and have it connect is through these personal stories, the narrative mm -hmm. that sort of kicks the human brain into gear and, and, and absorbs it, right? The connection is different. Yeah. We need to talk about doctrine. You yeah. know, we need to talk about the principles and a clear way that when we connect it with the real life, then it's more powerful. Right. And people remember the stories more. And then they will also, you know, it's like, just like the parables that the Lord used. They can even interpret them differently according to what they are going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but people remember the stories more. And then, then the connection with the doctrine they would remember too. Yeah. And what I appreciated like about how you approach this in your talks and probably just in your ministry in general is I think a, a church leader can think, oh, you know what? Yeah, mental health is a concern. We should talk about that more. So maybe we'll do a fifth Sunday lesson and we'll talk about mental health and I'll show some statistics and talk about it generally, but then there's like another layer of like, no, we're actually going to get into real life stories. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's an additional level of be like, I'm going to tell my story yes. or mm -hmm. my dad's story or my mm -hmm. daughter's story. Right. Mm -hmm. And be like, this is real for me. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think what you, the dynamic that draws people in and be like, oh, like they're, they're mortal like me. Maybe I can sit with this leader and, and they'll understand me more deeply. It's, it's like ministering to them, you know, where is comforting those that need comfort? Like, you know, we have covenanted that because when you tell someone that you're struggling, then they realize, like Elena said, that they are not the only ones, mm -hmm. that we are all struggling with something and then we can connect better yeah. and we can help each other better. And I think that I need to clarify that. I think that we need to do it. We need to follow the spirit when we are vulnerable because right. sometimes we could go to the extreme of oversharing, right? <laughs> And sometimes it's uncomfortable mm -hmm. I have being mm -hmm. in those situations also. We, we need to know where we are and who are we are talking to and then share accordingly mm -hmm. because sometimes we could also overdo it. Yeah. Anything else around that topic we haven't covered? Is that it? Well, I don't know. I just have a story coming to mind. Like, you you cut this out. Okay. It's like, it has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> but I was just remembering that, like, so one time when I was serving in the Relief Society presidency, I was informed about a sister in my ward who was having suicidal thoughts mm. and so i immediately just like started texting her and reaching out to her and stuff and i mean yeah i was a little vulnerable with her too like i didn't tell her that i knew that what was going on but i just told her like hey like i have some bad days too so i just want you to know that you can reach out to me whenever you're having a bad day and 
Yeah, like she told me that like by by me just reaching out that that was really helpful for her. But like a few weeks ago, I was having a really hard time and I like to just minister to people when I'm struggling because that way like I feel better about myself. So I reached out to her even though I was the one having a bad day. I reached out to her and I was like, hey, like let me know how I can help you. But she kind of turned it around and was like helping me and she really opened up to me about things and like let me know that how I was feeling was okay. And it was just like, I don't know, it was just so beautiful because like I didn't, I reached out to her not expecting anything in return, but her, like the fact that it was like a two-way thing in the end Mm -hmm. was just so amazing to me. I don't even know why like this came to my mind, but just, I think like my point is I really wish that we would prioritize people with mental health issues more because... I feel like people with physical ailments like will rush to their help immediately if somebody's in the hospital or something. But like mental health literally like drives us to having suicidal thoughts though and that's like really serious and I just mm-hmm. I really I don't know. I've just been I prioritize people with mental health issues personally. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I learned from that as you say that is that you know that two-way connection, right? And mm-hmm. this is sometimes as a leader, we want to be the one that's got the ability to make the casserole and bring it over. And maybe there's sort of that season where, yeah, you're the person giving a hand up, mm-hmm. but that can sometimes change, right? And it's less of a, whether you're higher or lower, but more of like, we're a community here of people who've connected mm-hmm. because of vulnerability. And now we can help each other because we're we're going to experience different things at different times, mm-hmm. right? And so that's really, I think, the community that church leaders want to foster in an organization, right? And so. we also need to be willing to accept help yeah, and to mm-hmm. ask for help. Yeah, Because mm-hmm. sometimes we want to see, be seen like this person that has everything under control and your life is, you know, is okay and, and you can do it yourself and you need to be self-reliant and which is a good thing. But many times we we reach that, that level of being self-reliant by asking for help. Right. From heaven first, you ask for, from heavenly father and uh, the Savior, applying the, the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life, but also through other people. Right. Because that's the way they help us yeah. most of the time, is through other people. And I think that connects to, Elena, your emphasis on mental health is that, you know, self-reliance, part of self-reliance is asking for help. And yeah. I do, you know, a lot of men's retreats and whatnot. And one thing we just constantly hit again and again is men, you need to reach out. Like mm-hmm. it's sort of this attack on masculinity. Sometimes we're like, I don't need help. I'm good. Right. And I know women experience it in a different way, but that it's that knowing that part of self-reliance is saying, I just am having a hard day. I need to sit with somebody mm-hmm. or talk something through. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's an important concept of mental health rather than being self-reliant financially. Yeah. Maybe you do need to get a job and be more self-reliant or whatever it is, but mental health is maybe not that cut and dry, you know? Mm-hmm. So let me ask about, Elena, you brought this up as we were sort of putting a general outline together. This, mm-hmm. this, cause you, Raina, you've emphasized the importance of councils, mm-hmm. especially in leadership, coming together, getting that revelation going, right? And sometimes in a ward council, for instance, you want to feel focus on people, but you end up talking about people mm-hmm. and they're not even in the room. And, you know, we sort of have an idea of what's going on in people's lives, but not fully. And you maybe introduce this concept of maybe we can't just stop at talking about people. Yes. So, yeah, we believe really strongly in counseling with people instead of just about them. And so, yeah, I've seen that in my mom. Like she she will visit like YSA wards or like you'll go to ward councils and stuff. When I had the call. Yeah, sorry, mm-hmm. you used to. But yeah, no, I like that my mom was always 
there and reminding the leaders, hey, like you should be talking to the YSA just mm -hmm. directly, asking them like how they feel about things mm -hmm. instead of just counseling about them. Yes, because sometimes they will ask me questions like, how can we make them so they want to do this or not that? And I would say, ask them. <laughs> yeah, <talk laughs> ask to... them. Yeah. yeah. And I love this concept of, because it's easy, you just, you know, get in the rhythm of different meetings and councils mm -hmm. and, you know, every second Sunday we have a ward council and, and you forget that as a ward council, you're so focused on these different problems or these different people that you forget that there's a whole entire ward of resources to help mm -hmm. that. Yes. And I often say like, it's not the leader's role isn't necessarily to reveal the answer, but to bring the problem to the people and say, what do we do with this? Right. Yes. And it's easy to just get it sort of in that silo of the mm -hmm. word council and talk about sometimes people. Right. Mm -hmm. But yes. to come together like in a relief society and say, you know, we'll get to this Sister Roberto's talk in just a minute here. Yes. Right. But let's come together and talk like about A, B and C and council together. Yes. Like what, what comes and, to well, mind? The, the general handbook actually says that, yeah. that there can be a council before uh, elders quorum or, or, or really society and even with the youth you know in every setting of the church we can actually counsel together because when sisters will tell me how you know the sisters don't want to minister to each other how can we help them my advice was always counsel with them tell them that this is a concern that you have and ask them how you can do it better and try to also focus on the principles why do we do this why do we minister to each other mm. We are trying to, to follow the two great commandments, right? Which are to love God and also to love our neighbor. If we love God, we will love our neighbor more. If we love our neighbor, we will love God more. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but we need to go and show it. But we also need to ask people how they want to be ministered to. I don't think I can just ask for revelation and, and just do it, but I need to also counsel with the person. How can I be a better minister sister to you? And I said, okay, if I do this or that, please tell me how you want to be helped. And if you and having emergency or something, and, and you need my help, you know that you can call me. But we cannot just say, yes, if you need something, call me. Right. We need to be more specific. We need to ask them. And something that Elena does also a lot is to ask people, how would you like me to pray for you this week, for oh, example? Cool. Mm -hmm. And when you ask that kind of question to people, they open your, their heart to you. Yeah. When you ask them, okay, what are you struggling with right now? How can I pray for you? And they will tell you what is in their heart more than just the superficial stuff. Yeah, that's, tell me more about that. When, where did this come from or as far as asking uh, people that question? Well, actually I give credit to my friend, Abby, who- Shout out to Abby. Yes, <laughs> she was my supervisor when I worked at FSY last summer. And on Instagram, she'll post every once in a while, like, how can I pray for you guys this week? And I'm like, that is such a beautiful question. <laughs> like, I wanna use that in my ministering. And yeah, like I even will ask the people who minister to me to do the same thing to me because I'm like, that's how I want to be ministered to. So, and yeah, it is really great because yeah, like she said, like it just, it helps people to open up and it helps me love them more if I know that they're struggling with something. Like yeah. I'm just like, oh, I can relate to you and I feel for you. So yeah. So let's put this up to a test. <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy. <laughs> how would you like us to pray for you this week? My goodness. I don't know if you want to be that vulnerable, but... <laughs> Well, I, I'm praying that the recorder's working. Right now. Okay, but, we'll pray uh, for that. Man, you know, where my mind goes is our, our little three-year-old is, she's just so sweet and wonderful, but there's just these little health concerns that have mm -hmm. us worried, you know? And so to know that someone is praying for my little girl, just like we're praying for, you know, and it's nothing like crucial or like, she's not like, yes, it's nothing understand. tragic, but anything, but 
as a parent, like these are the little things you yes, worry about. Yes. You know? See, but so. we connected right now because oh, we asked you. And we're going to pray for her. I think What's we have her... to end it right yes. now. <laughs> What's her name? Her name is Mariah. Mariah. That's okay, right. we'll pray for Mariah. Well, and ask along with the, the leading yes. saints yes. audience, please. <laughs> See, uh, but it's, it's so easy to connect. Yeah. It's so easy. And another thing that comes to my mind with that question is sometimes we assume like, you know, I'm a pretty good ministering brother. You know, I... Say hi to my church. I knock on their door every once in a while. Send them a text. I mean, that does naturally break someone's heart open a little bit. But how much, you know? And maybe if they're hesitant of giving that, like, ah, well, maybe there's some more connection, a more of a relationship to build there if they can't freely really answer that question, yes. you know. And so. I remember hearing something very similar in a council in Salt Lake City. I can't remember where it was, but there was an area in the church that ministering brothers and sisters will ask, "When I pray for you, what should I pray for?" Hmm. It's very similar. Yeah. And they said that ministering in that area was just so beautiful. Yeah. Everybody was just doing differently in a higher way, like like the 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 they were doing it in a higher way, just like the prophet asked yeah. us to do. That's great. I love those just those tips that are like simple but high impact, mm -hmm. you know. And it's like I can do that. All right, I, I'll write that down. I'll make it happen. So, anything else with as far as counseling with or rather than counseling about people. We cover it. I think that it has to be something that is is ongoing. You know that every time you sit down to counsel as a family or or as friends, sometimes we are worried about a friend and we want to help them. And and yeah. we can sit down as friends and say, how can we help this friend more? And talk to them and then then keep doing that exercise. But also as leaders, we need to keep asking questions that bring that revelation. Because if you think about it, we are never done. Mm. We are never done with the work. We are never done with ministering to each other. Sometimes we want to have a checklist and feel that we are done. But with this kind of work, I don't think that we ever are. Yeah. We just need to keep asking, what else can we do? How can we help each other? How can we bring more people to, to make covenants with the Savior? No. How can we bring more people to make covenants with the Heavenly Father through the Savior? Mm. And how can we help each other more? If we can keep asking those questions, the revelation keeps coming. And we realize that we're never done. The objective should not be to be done. The objective should be to keep working, to keep doing things, to keep helping each other yeah. until the Savior comes. Love it. I'm curious about the part of the, your calling in the general research presidency where it's like, and maybe I'm curious how these assignments come that you suddenly find out you're going to Portugal or something <laughs> like I mean, how do those assignments come? and then? I mean, what's your intention with going there your, or the assignment? And how did you go to, you know, walk into that world and, and represent that <laughs> calling and who you are and all that? Well, the assignments come from the president of the Quorum of the Twelve. So it will come from President Ballard. And it will come in a way that, let's say around September, you receive the lists of places that are assigned to release society. So internationally, we will travel, each of us will travel like twice. So we will get like six different places of the world for Relief Society. And so depending on the time, the, you know, the dates where that will happen, and depending on where we had been before, we will kind of shuffle those around between the three of us. Because maybe Sister Bingham already had an important assignment during that week, and she couldn't make this specific mm -hmm. assignment, but I could go to that one. And maybe uh, Sister Eubank had already been in that. In the beginning, it's easier, but then at the end, you already went to that area you want the other person to go. You know what, yeah. what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So that's the way it happens. And then once you are assigned to a specific area a few months before, you, the area presidency is aware that you're going to be coming in certain day, and they 
they contact you and you usually go with another sister from a different organization. Mm-hmm. So I will travel with the, someone from primary or with someone with, from young women, a sister, and our husbands will come with us for the international trips. And so you cancel with the area presidency remotely and they will tell you what things they had in mind. So you really go to help fulfill the purposes and the goals of the area presidency. And they are the ones who kind of decide the agendas and the itineraries. Of course, they counsel with you and they tell you, is this okay with you? Would you like to do some more of this or, or less of that? And it's very in- intense. Yeah. What are some of the like concerns or topics as you're talking with that area presidency? Like, what do, you, do they want you to come talk about a certain topic yes. or, or what, what, do you, what feedback did you generally get in preparation for those yes. trips? They usually have like what they call an area plan, which is kind of oh, yeah. like the objectives that that area has or the, the focuses, the, the, the areas that they are trying to, to help with more. And of course, children and youth and, you know, young people are always there, the sisters. So they, it will, they will give you so many things. It's like a menu, a big menu of things that you do. The, the trips usually take about 10 to 12 days. They usually include two weekends. And uh, so you go to that area. Sometimes, for example, in Mexico and Brazil, it's just one country, the whole area. So you will travel to different cities or to different countries. Yeah. When I went to Central America, we went to five different countries in a week or 10 days, you know, and so you, you, you have to travel a lot. But then they will assign you to do instruction for leaders. You will do devotionals with the missionaries, with young adults or with sisters or with families or with um, youth, depending on what the priorities or the focuses were for that, for that area. And then that's usually in the evenings, but during the day, you will also do ministering visits. Or you do some public affairs visits. You will go to hospitals where the church maybe was donating equipment. Mm-hmm. You will even have meetings with some government officials, you know, because the church was working with them with something. Different things. It's fascinating. Yeah. And it's busy. Yeah. You know, you have a busy agenda. And did you notice, I know like with some Area 70s or General Authority 70s, they, they become very good at just... Not necessarily preparing remarks, but they've sort of been in these uh, state conference enough times yes. that they're really ready to, to speak depending on, you know, whatever the topic is. Yes. Did you feel like you got in that mode or what was the preparation oh, of the speaking like? Let me tell you, the first one was very hard for me. That was just like a month after I, I was sustained. I went to, to South America South, which I went with Sister Cordon. She was in primary, in the primary presidency back then. So we went to Argentina and Chile and uh, we covered a lot of territory there. But I remember seeing the itinerary and seeing, okay, I ha- I'm going to be do- giving seven different messages because even sacrament meeting <laughs> yeah. on Sunday, they want you to say something. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'm going to set time apart to prepare for these messages weeks before the trip. And I tried. I sat down and tried to write something. I just couldn't. Wow. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to have this many hours on the plane. I can prepare <laughs> then, right? <laughs> Nothing. Wow. And it was very scary, especially the first time. But it's interesting because that morning, in the middle of everything, you know, getting ready and running to an airport or whatever, or getting on a van because you have to drive several hours, the thoughts come, but you don't really write a talk. And then you also talk to the leaders because that's another thing that you're doing constantly because you, you talk to state presidents, to sisters that are leaders at the state level or a world level, and you ask them questions. What are your concerns? What do you see? And then as you have those conversations, the thoughts come and then you're able to do like a little outline and then you give your message. 
And that's the way it happens with those assignments. It's not like general conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I had to learn the, the hard way. It was very hard the first time because I was very nervous and I felt unprepared. I felt like, oh, Lord, please forgive me because I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But you get ready and he gives you the thoughts and then you, you stand in front of those people and you connect with them in such a beautiful way. But I always also like to do it a little bit interactive. Yeah, I will ask questions. Oh. Depending on what they were saying, then you, you go from there. Yeah. Uh, it's not that easy, but it, it works because you are relying on the spirit. You are relying that the Lord is guiding you, that he's helping you to connect with those people. So I didn't want to have a paper, just looking at the paper. Yeah. You know, I wanted to connect. Yeah, it's interesting how revelation or inspiration for these talks works that way. Because sometimes I get the, the best inspiration to what I'm about to say, like, right before standing up. Yes. And it's sort of like, all right, God, listen, like, can we move this around how this works? Because sometimes I'm like, why should I even prepare? Because I'm yes. not, I'm going to, you know, yes. but um, it's, but there's so much faith in that process of relying on the Lord yes. that there's, and there's a, a deeper connection that happens when I'm in the room with these people, I can see their faces and mm -hmm. I have a better idea of maybe yeah. what I can speak to. And of course you have to keep reading your scriptures. You have to keep yeah. reading conference talks. And you need to be saying the things that the prophet is saying, for example. And so you, you grab something and then you go from there. Mm -hmm. And you ask people questions regarding what the prophet just said. And it's beautiful. And the yeah. time goes so fast. That's the only complaint that I have. <laughs> Too fast. Yeah. You know, you start feeling that spirit. You, have, you start that conversation. You start feeling the Lord is guiding you. And then you look at the clock and you're like, oh my goodness, I only have three <laughs> minutes. I need to wrap up now. Yeah. It's interesting. It's different. It's, but we can do it at every level. Mm -hmm. We should not, I think that we should not limit ourselves to a written piece of paper, you know, to what we have written on paper. Yeah. Because it's different when you are in front of people and it should be more natural. And it's to be, also sometimes we have to say, we want to say so much that we speak too fast. And I don't think that spirit is there when you speak too fast. And being an interpreter, being an interpreter in church, it's very hard to interpret someone when they're speaking so fast. <laughs> yeah. You just have to summarize and try to grab the, the, what is more important. But you realize, okay, if this person will have spoken a little bit slower, the spirit will have been probably stronger. Yeah. So it's not the amount of things that you say. It's how you say it also. And to really try to connect with people instead of telling them 10 things that you need to do in order to, to fix this issue or whatever you're yeah. talking about. Tell me about like visiting these different areas. Obviously, you're literally a general leader, but you want to be a personal leader, you know, when you're there. Yeah. And so it's sometimes you just give the talk, sit down and, you know, catch the plane and go to the next yeah. place. But I mean, what was that like trying to connect with people or was there anything specific you did in order to do that or understand more about what's going on in the church in that area? Yeah, it depends on, of course, the, the situation, but many times we really try to be there early mm. so you can actually embrace Sisters, and that's another thing that as a woman leader, you can give hugs to the sisters. <laughs> You've given a lot is, of hugs yeah, over five years. Yeah, <laughs> thousands of hugs. Wow. And you can actually tell them, thank you for coming, and they will tell you something. So when I will get up in front of, that, of them, I could already connect with many of them because I already had a little conversation with them. I had friends already in there. And then at the end, of course, you stay and you, you, you talk to the ones that come to talk to you, and you embrace them, you listen to them, you cry with them. But sometimes, of course, you have to leave immediately because you had, a, you had to catch a plane or something. But I try to do that and I still do it, you yeah. know, because people still come to me. And I don't think I'm different from them, but I know that 
a hug or a conversation with me could make a difference just because of the calling that I had, not because of me. (laughs) But I know that people feel closer to the Savior when you are in those callings. Every one of us, because we are disciples of Christ, we can help people feel closer to the Savior by, by paying attention to them, by listening to them, by embracing them. Yeah. Awesome. So Elena, I want to, I'm curious, you mentioned you were an FSY counselor and that's sort of this new, obviously for the youth, it's sort of this new program experience for them, mm-hmm. but the church is making more and more of a, a push to get FSY counselors both. And, and you have to be a single adult, right? Is that yes. and in a certain age range? Yeah, right? I think it's until you're 30 or okay. something. Yeah. Gotcha. So what was that experience like in general and why should others consider mm-hmm. doing it? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I don't know. Have you seen The Chosen? Oh, yeah. 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 We're right. obsessed with The Chosen. I'm offended you didn't even ask. <laughs> so when I was like being trained to be a counselor, I think it might have been Sister Corden that um, showed us a clip of The Chosen. And it was the one where, you know, like the, oh my gosh, is it the paralytic that it gets lowered into the roof? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like the disciples like Mary Magdalene and Peter are just watching and I think Peter says something like, can you believe that we're here for this? And Mary's like, yes. And so I think that is such a perfect like analogy of what it's like to be a counselor, because we're just kind of sitting there watching the Lord do the work. Hmm. I like, which is great because I was like, I don't know if I'm like really going to be good enough to be a counselor, but yeah, I literally just like got to take care of my girls and watch the savior change their lives. And yeah, I mean, it was just so amazing, like, especially with one of the weeks that I was there, one of my boys was just like sobbing when we were all saying goodbye. And it was just so beautiful to see how much the spirit had touched him and how, like, I mean, how they wanted to like serve missions and stuff. Like, I mean, it was just so awesome. Like, and again, I feel like I didn't do anything. Like, I was just (laughs) there watching the Savior do it, but it was great. Yeah. I would also push people to have their kids go because I know that like... Sometimes that's a struggle to get their kids to actually participate in those things. But like, that's who it's really about. And the counselors are just there to have fun with them. But yeah. Yeah. I often talk about leadership as the opportunity to stand on the sidelines of the atonement. Mm -hmm. You know, you're right there. You're not Mm -hmm. necessarily doing it, but you have a front row seat of some remarkable miracles that happen in the lives of individuals. Right. So again, sometimes when we are leaders and this is a leadership position to be a counselor in in those uh, activities. Again, we think that we have to do everything, yeah. but it's just that you prepare enough, you prepare with, for the things that you can do, but you let the Lord do the miracles and you just watch. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that happens at every level, yeah. you know, that we need to just trust that the Lord knows what he's doing and that he, this is his work and that we are just helping. We are just watching. We are just being part of it, being privil- having that privilege to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. What else are we missing before we wrap up? Any topic? principal story that must be told. <laughs> yeah. So something that I've done, because I've, I've been working with teenagers for like the past two years now. And something that I've tried to do is be really inclusive with my words, just really intentional about like what I say. So for example, like I'll try to say your family instead of your parents, because I know that not everybody has both their parents or they live with their grandparents or something. And my mom is really good at that too. Like, cause even like if she went to go speak at a single adult ward, for example, like she acknowledges that some people there have been divorced or something. Like Mm -hmm. not everybody there is in the same boat completely. Mm -hmm. So she's really good about being really inclusive with her language too. Yes. I I need that. I think that that is so important because words matter and they have power. Uh, Many people in the church, unfortunately, they feel that they don't fit because they don't 
have a perfect family, whatever that means, because no family is perfect. We all struggle with something. But sometimes when we, we, we speak to people from the pulpit or in lessons, we assume like everybody's married, everybody has children, everybody has a, a wonderful, you know, companion in their life. But that doesn't happen with everyone. And if we try to, to tailor our messages in a way that they will apply to anyone, even to a child, a five-year-old child, then I think that we are including everyone and everyone feels part of it. And this is something that I, I honestly feel that, that we, we could do better. All of us, I can do better too. That when I give a talk in, in, general, in sacrament meeting, I need to remember the children. Hmm. I don't necessarily say, okay, I'm speaking, I'm talking to the children right now, but... To tell a story or to do it in a way that even a child will, will connect with you, and then everybody connects. To think about everyone, not just one demographic of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it really causes a, a leader to, to, to analyze, you know, how, how are we, you know, even to the advice that maybe as you ask someone to speak in sacrament meeting, yes. how, how can you encourage maybe that of thinking of the, the different dynamics that happen in, in that ward, right? For example, sometimes we say we need to teach our children. When you say something like that, you're only talking to the ones that have children at home. Yeah, yeah. But if you say, let's help the rising generation, even a 12-year-old can help the rising generation. First of all, with her friends. She can also help someone who is 17. She can help her siblings. She can help her neighbors. Someone that probably their children are not at home anymore. She can still help the rising generation in the world, she, you know, as a primary leader or her grandchildren or whatever, or someone who has never been married or they don't have children they can also help the rising generation. So if you just change a few words, you are including everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, powerful. Tell me, Elena, you, you started a podcast mm -hmm. a few years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's been sort of an ongoing project. Mm -hmm. And what was the, what's the story behind that? So honestly, it was when my mom had her calling, she and I would just have conversations about really deep things. And so I was like, we should start a podcast so more people can hear what you have to say. <laughs> But because she still had her calling at that point, I like I couldn't really use my mom <laughs> back then. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'll just start a podcast by myself so that I can practice. And you interviewed your dad, though, right? Yeah, you got I him did. in the mix. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he was the first one, the, yes. the guinea pig. <laughs> yes. But yeah, it's been so fun. Like I to just like talk to my friends, like because I've told people before that like I love podcasts where it's just two friends talking, like capturing yeah. that. I think it's just or awesome. three friends. Yes, <laughs> like in this case, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I just love like hearing. I love being able to capture us laughing together and stuff. And so I was like, I think it'd be awesome to start a podcast with my bestie, who's my mom. <laughs> and yeah, like we've invited some of my friends on, and we've had laughs with them too. Yeah. And it's just been really fun. That's so cool. after I was released, I'm a co-host now. Yeah. Nice. Imagine that. Yeah. But <laughs> nice. tell them the, the name. Of yeah, it's podcast. called the Consecrating Your Life. Which we chose because we've always, we love the topic of consecration. It's something that I feel like we don't really talk about very often in, in the church. And it's something that we covenant to do in the temple. And so, yeah, we just try to tie every topic to that. Because it is about dedicating your life to our Heavenly Father. So, nice. yeah. So anywhere people are listening to this, they can probably search yes. consecrate your life. And, yeah, pretty and much find on it. any yeah. app. Yeah, Spotify cool. or whatever. It's all there. Yep. <laughs> the rundown. Well, I really appreciate you two being willing to chat with me and we explored some fun things yes. and uh, I learned a lot and I think a lot of people will benefit as well. So let me, I'll start. I've got one final question. I'll let you each answer it solo. But Elena, with you, with reflecting on your time as a leader, as a YSA, especially maybe in the you know FSY, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. 
Oh, I love that the Savior, even though he was a king when he was on the earth, he never sat on a throne. Like he was always like doing the dirty work and getting to know people and being friends with everybody. So like by me trying to emulate him, I try to do the same thing. I just, I try to make it about other people and it's not about me. And I do fail at that sometimes, but I, I just, when I try to be like him, I, I try to turn outward instead of inward, just like Elder Bednar said in his talk, Character of Christ, where it's not about his suffering, but like he'll focus on other people's suffering. And by doing that, I'm able to help myself when I focus on other people. So just like in the, where it says in the Bible, if you get, if you lose yourself in the service of others, you find yourself. So I just, that's what I've been able to do with my own life. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Right now, what you reflecting on the last five years or so in that, in that uh, general Leaf Society calling, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Well, I think that one of the things that I learned, even traveling the world and talking to people in different places, is how much Heavenly Father loves His children. You see people, you know, in places where there is a lot of poverty, a lot of problems, but they still are able to manage. They still get that, that guidance, that help from, from heaven, and they still are able to help each other. So I have learned that we are truly children of God and that He's aware of each of His children. And I also learned that Jesus Christ is, is really the source of everything good that we have and that we can come to him and we can receive strength and power from him if we just turn to him and we just try to follow his commandments. So it has made me, all this time has made me be more aware of other people, their needs, and, and also of the help that I receive from heaven. Because I don't think I could have been able to do anything or even now in my life without his help. That concludes my interview with Elena and Reina Alberto. What a phenomenal duo they are. Uh, to be BFFs and be a mother and daughter uh, duo is, is really cool. I wish every mother and daughter this type of relationship. Now, again, Sister Reina Alberto is going to be speaking at the North Star Conference. For those of you who don't know, North Star is a nonprofit organization similar to Leading Saints, but they have a mission to be a faith-affirming resource for Latter-day Saints addressing sexual orientation and gender identity who desire to live in harmony with the teachings of Jesus Christ and the doctrines and values of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I go to their conference every year. I participate as a facilitator in some of the leadership sessions, and that's the cool thing about it. They have specific leadership sessions for church leaders to come to and learn about the complexities of being an LGBT Latter-day Saint. So you don't want to uh, miss out on this. And again, one of the keynotes is Sister Reina Alberto. So you'll be able to shake her hand, get a picture, and just learn from her even more. And so that is June 16th and 17th in Salt Lake City. It's worth a car ride. It's worth a plane ticket, whatever it takes to get there. This is a phenomenal resource, and I'd love to shake her hand. So go to NorthStarSaints.org to see all the details of this upcoming conference and to register. We'll see you there. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.